You're an awesome looking crowd on absolutely the most extraordinary day known to man. This is like the most extraordinary day of the year. We're going to talk about that in a second, but first off, I want to kind of start off a little differently. So I want you, you know, I like to do things a little different. So I want you to just bear with me, humor me for a second. How many of you in here, at some point in time in your life, you have had just that certain person that, that created a, I don't know, a high blood pressure for you? <laughs> Maybe, hold, hold on, put your hands down, hold on. Let me, let me finish. Maybe they, they've just been a hard spot for you. They just, when you think about them, you, you have a grudge. Maybe right now you're dealing with a grudge, or maybe sometime in your past you've, you've dealt with a grudge. How many of you, at some point in time in your life, you've held a grudge? Come on, let's just be honest. Okay, oh, hands real high. Look, hands everywhere. Hands in the balcony. Hand, basically, everybody in here at some point in time has held a grudge or either you're lying. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. I want you to just basically, right now, take that question that I just asked you and I want you to just shelve it at the back of your brain. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes and we're going to have fun with that. And I'm going to show you some things as to how to, to deal with, with, with grudges. But I want you to put it back in the back of your brain for a minute. And I want to talk to you about something extremely extraordinary. So take your Bibles out with me and turn to Luke chapter 23. All right. Luke 23 verses 32 through 45. We are, as you're turning there, let me kind of set this up for you. We are people who are wired for extraordinary we love the extraordinary our culture is enamored with the bigger than life events those unusual shocking out of the norm abnormal events we are we're, we're drawn to them it's like a, a sucking sound i mean think about this concept with me for a second we celebrate easter and easter has absolutely nothing to do with eggs <laughs> But somebody came up with the concept to kind of market Easter, and, and they came up with this egg. So yesterday we had this huge Easter egg hunt, kids everywhere, just a wonderful event. And everybody's just kind of searching for, the, for the, the, the golden egg, the egg that had the winning Nintendo DS in it, and, you know, all of that. But you know what? That wasn't extraordinary enough for, for human, humanity. So rather than just celebrating Easter with an egg, we said, you know what, let's make it a little more extraordinary. And somebody came up with the concept of a bunny delivering eggs. <laughs> I don't think bunnies have eggs, but whatever. We're just drawn to, to the extraordinary. You know, life in and of itself is, is fascinatingly extraordinary. Think about your body with me just for a second and how it operates. Let, let's just talk about the heart. Did you know that the heart is a muscle that weighs less than one pound? But yet that muscle puts off enough energy in an hour's time to lift a 2,000-pound car three feet off the ground. That is extraordinary. Did you know that that same heart pumps 4,000 gallons of blood a day throughout your body? That's extraordinary. You see, life in and of itself is extraordinary. We're wired for the extraordinary. Think with me for a minute about the events in your life. Think with me about the extraordinary scenes that have played out in front of you throughout your lifetime. 
Maybe you've been blessed enough to see a sunrise on the beach. How many of you have seen that? Oh, you're sitting out on the beach early, early in the morning. It's, it's still dark and, and, and the waves are crashing on the shore. And just at that precise moment, you're waiting with anticipation. There it is. It peeks out at you right behind a wall of blue ocean. Man, it's an extraordinary sight. You have to know that there is a God, an extraordinary God. Or maybe right now one of the most extraordinary events in your life has been the day that you got married. Some of you are like shaking your head yes, and some of you are shaking your head no. Let's take the, the yes. Um, maybe, guys, you got married, you came up on a stage with a preacher, and, and the music began to play, your palms began to sweat, your knees began to knock, and then all of a sudden the door swung open wide, and there she was. What an extraordinary event. Or maybe when your kids were born. That's an extraordinary event. You know, I can remember when Kim and I were in the birthing room, and, and I was doing all the work, and... and <laughs> She was getting all the glory. And I remember when our boys were born, and I thought, man, this is absolutely incredible. What an awesome thing to see life coming into this earth, just being born into this awesome earth, just seeing that event take place. I remember thinking to myself, wow, I saw my boys get their first breath. and It's just like it's so surreal. I can remember it. I can remember thinking to myself, Wow, what an awesome God. This is incredible. I remember thinking that vividly. I also remember being kind of queasy and a little lightheaded too. (laughs) But you know what? With as awesome as those events are, with as extraordinary as those events are, today I want to talk to you about a person who's so much more extraordinary than that. I want to talk to you about an event that is so much more extraordinary than those. I want to talk to you about the most extraordinary person who has ever walked the face of this earth. I want to talk to you about Jesus. And I want to talk to you about the extraordinary event event of the cross. You see, it's an incredible, extraordinary story that I think we all need to hear today. So here's what I, I want you to allow me to do. I want you to allow me to paint this picture for you of the crucifixion. Now, I want to do it in a little different way. I don't want to start at the beginning. I want to start at the end. I want to paint this picture for you, uh, basically the last few moments of Christ's existence on this earth. He's about to take his last breath. I want to pick it up right there because there is a span of three hours that Scripture records some extraordinary things that happened. And I want to look at those real quick with you this morning. Look with me at uh, Luke chapter 23. Let's pick it up in verse 44. See what it says. It says this, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Verse 45, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now I want to stop right there real quick. Let me explain what just happened in these two verses. First off, you need to understand that God knew that we would be extraordinary seekers, that we would crave the extraordinary. So God devised this this fascinatingly extraordinary plan to get our attention because he knew that it would take that for it to happen. 
And what I have just read in these two verses, sometimes we just kind of read right over as if they have no meaning. But listen, let me tell you something. If it's in the Scripture, it has some great meaning. Let me share with you what's happening here because God got our attention. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three Gospels basically tell the same story. How God just kind of came on the scene and did some awesome things. First off, Jesus is being crucified here, but there's a mentioning of a certain time frame here. It says between the sixth, sixth and the ninth hour, the Bible says that darkness covered the whole land. Now let me help you understand what that means in the Greek. When it says that darkness covered the whole land, it actually means that darkness covered the whole known world. Okay? When it says that in the Greek, it's not making reference to one geographical area. It is actually making reference to dark clouds, dark ominous clouds unexpectedly rolled in. And the sun quit shining, and it almost became as if it was nightfall. Now, this is incredible. You see, historians who were scattered all throughout the world at that time record that there was this event that unfolded between that time, 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that it grew dark. They recorded everywhere. Scientists since then have tried to say, you know what, it couldn't have happened. It must have been a solar eclipse. But let me tell you something. The crucifixion took place during the Passover. The Passover was always celebrated during the full moon. So it couldn't be an eclipse. This is the earth crying out. This is an extraordinary event. But it gets even more extraordinary than that. Notice, though, when it says between the, the sixth and the ninth hour, what is the significance about that time frame? It says between the sixth and the ninth hour, the curtain in the temple ripped in two, actually into two pieces. Let me tell you what that means. In between the sixth and the ninth hour, the high priest would enter into the temple courts during this Passover time. And he would make a sacrifice with a spotless lamb. That spotless lamb was basically sacrificed in the Holy of Holies for our atonement, for humanity's atonement, for their recovery from sin. Well, at that very precise moment that he is about to make that sacrifice, the Bible says the curtain is, is ripped in two. What does that mean spiritually? That means that basically we don't need a high priest to make a sacrifice for us anymore. That Jesus became that sacrifice. And now we have entrance into God ourselves. We can pray to God and ask God to forgive us ourselves. You see, Jesus was that sacrifice. So it took place specifically. How extraordinary is that, that this curtain ripped into between the sixth and the ninth hour? Okay, but now that being extraordinary in and of itself, let me tell you about this curtain. This curtain was not your typical curtain. This curtain was not a shower curtain or a drapery that you hang on the wall at home. This curtain was actually 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and a hand's breadth thick. Did you know that history says that it took 300 people to manipulate and move that curtain? 300 priests had to move that curtain. This curtain is heavy. Well, in between the 6th and the ninth hour, the curtain is ripped in two. And then right on the heels of that, Matthew records that the earth then shook violently. There was an earthquake. And it even says that huge boulders in the Greek split in two. The extraordinary event of clouds rolling in and it becoming so dark all over the world. The curtain ripping into it the precise moment that the sacrifice was about to be made. And then the earth shaking. Why such extraordinary things during this three hour period? Why did we have all of these extraordinary events during this short period? Let me tell you why. Because the earth 
was groaning for Jesus. Because Jesus is, is and was and is extraordinary. What I want to do over the next few weeks is this. I'm starting this series today and I want to look at the extraordinary life of Christ. There are some extraordinary things that I want us to look at and pay close attention to. Some things that Jesus did, some things that Jesus said, and I want us to pay very close attention to those things. I want us to find out who this Christ really was, according to Scripture. And we're going to have fun doing that, but here's what I want to do today. I've kind of started you out at the end of the story. I want to hit the rewind button, and I want to roll our sleeves up, and I want to take you back to the beginning. Let's find out what it is that caused Christ to be at this point in his life. First off, let's understand it this way as we rewind. You'll have to remember in John chapter 3 verse 16 that the Bible says that God gave his son. Gave. That means that that Jesus was a gift. You know what the rest of that verse says? So that whomever believes in him, whomever is you, whoever believes in him, me, whoever believes in, in him. So you and I, if we believe in Jesus, guess what? You will have eternal life. That's what the Bible said. So we see that God gave us Jesus. And then we see that this Jesus grew up. This Jesus lived an amazing life. Stay right here with me for a second. He lived an amazing life. This Jesus was without sin. He was sinless. He never, ever, ever did anything wrong. This Jesus brought a revolutionary message. His teaching changed the world. This Jesus did miracle after miracle after miracle. This Jesus could take his hands and place them on a blind guy's eyes. And those eyes would be open. And that blind guy would see. This Jesus could take his hands and place them upon a deaf guy's ears. Those ears would be open. That deaf person would hear. This Jesus with his words, could speak to a dead person. And those words would bring that person back to life. This Jesus was awesome. This Jesus was so awesome that water would solidify under his feet so that he could walk on it. This Jesus, the words that came out of his mouth, his voice, the winds and the waves obeyed. This Jesus... The voice that he carried drawed thousands. They wanted to hear his voice. This Jesus was awesome. This Jesus did all of these things and more for one reason. To fulfill the will of God. But you know what? In his pursuit of fulfilling the will of God, something happened. Something abnormal but very extraordinary happened. He was arrested. But he wouldn't say a word. He was ridiculed and he had a mock trial but he would not defend himself they actually beat him the bible says until he was unrecognizable but he never spoke a word they took him and whipped him with a a whip that was fashioned out of steel balls and, 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 and glass and shards of metal and sharp rocks, and they would whip him across his back, and as they would pull it away, it would actually rip the flesh away from his body. But he would never speak a word. Then the guards who had their hands basically wrapped every finger with ornate jewelry, huge rings, 
They would put a blindfold upon Jesus. And then they would take turns punching him in the face is what the Bible says. And then they'd scream out, prophesy, you king, and tell us who hit you. Until his face was absolutely unrecognizable. But yet, he would not say a word. While he's fighting consciousness, they tell him, you've got to carry this cross to the point of execution. And you know what he did? He carried the cross. But he would not say a word. They placed him on the cross. They stretched open his hands and his feet and they drove those nails into his hands and his feet. But yet, you know what? He would not say a word. They thrust a crown of thorns upon his head basically to mock him even further. And when those poisonous thorns went into his brow and blood began to trickle down his face, guess what? He did not say a word. And then all of a sudden, not an evil word was spoken out of his mouth, not, not any vitriol, not any abusive word, no cry out, no nothing. But then his lips began to quiver. His lips began to form a word. What is he going to say? I can imagine that all the people who are standing around who have not heard him speak to this point are wondering, what is he going to say? And they're beginning to lean in, thinking, what will he say? This is the point that's extraordinary that I want us to pay attention to today. Will Jesus spew out ugliness? Will he curse those who have hurt him? Will he cry out and scream out to God and say, come and rescue me? Relieve me of my pain. You want to know what Jesus said? Do you really want to know what he said? When his lips began to move, look at verse 34. Look at it in your words. I want everybody to look at it. Verse 34, Jesus says this, Father. He begins to have a prayer. What is the next word? Forgive. Forgive. Do what? Father, what? What did he say do? He said, Father, forgive them. For they don't have a clue as to what they're doing. Think with me for a second. How amazing is this? How incredible is this that the Savior of humanity is on a cross. And the words that come out of his mouth are, Father, forgive them. Here he is just on a cross and he looks up into heaven right in the middle of his pain and he says father forgive them how does he do that someone cuts me off in traffic and i begin to devise a plan to get them back (laughs) how does he do it i i I don't i I can't quite understand it I, i can't put my hands around it but there was something that happened in this moment on the cross that i think we all need to learn from I think we all need to gather and break this conversation down. I want to show you three very quick things that happened during this conversation. You see, this is a conversation that he's having with God. This is a prayer that he's having. And there's three absolute thoughts that you must gather today. Open up your worship directories. I want you to fill in the blanks. I want you to stay with me for a few minutes. Everybody open up your worship directory. You've got to get this. Three things. Three thoughts that we can take out of this prayer that Jesus has. The very first thought is this. Fill in the blank. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. You know what? 700 years before this event unfolded, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that this very event would take place. Exactly the way that it did take place. 
700 years before, he said that Christ would hang on a cross for humanity. He would bear the sins of many. And then, you know what else he said in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12? He said that he will pray for those while he's on that cross who offended him. Wow, what is Jesus doing? He's doing just that. You see, 700 years later, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. How amazing is that? What is the second thought that I want you to pay close attention to this morning? The second thought is this. Jesus modeled the significance for prayer. Write that down. Jesus modeled the significance for prayer. Think about this with me for a second. Jesus was all about prayer. Everything that Jesus did was about prayer. In his ministry, he prayed all the time. You can look throughout the scripture and you'll see that he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins his public ministry. And you know what he does? He gathers the disciples together and the crowd. And he says, let me show you how to pray. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. That's at the beginning of his public ministry. This is at the very end of his public ministry. And what does he do? Pray. He bookends his ministry through prayer. But notice something. Who is he praying for? He's not praying for his friends. He's not praying for his family. He's not praying for his possessions. He's praying for his enemies. Now, let me say something to you. Because this should encourage you. It encourages me. And let me ask you this question for a second. How many of you in here, in all honesty, don't, don't raise your hand until I finish. How many of you, at some point in time in your life, you have prayed for someone who's far away from God? And you've prayed that they'll come and find out who God is. And just maybe you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and it just seems like to never happen and you almost give up. Or sometimes you even do give up. How many of you have had that to happen? Many of us in here. You know what? There are people in my life that I love dearly. And I pray for them to come to find out who Jesus is. And sometimes I want to quit because I think they're so far away from God, they'll never have a relationship with Him. But you know what Jesus showed me right here? Jesus was praying for those who were furthest away from God. He was praying for those who were murdering Him. You know what it tells me? That I should never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever give up on praying for someone to come to know God. That's what it tells me. You see, Jesus modeled the significance of prayer. The third thing that he did here, and this is the most important thing, Jesus revealed man's greatest need. You know what we tend to do sometimes? We, we men and women, we think that our greatest need is shelter. Oh, God, give me a home. We think our greatest need is, is a set of wheels. Oh, God, we want this kind of car. And we pray that way. Come on, I, I know I'm not the only one that does that. We pray that way. We tend to pray, God, would you give me this house? I'll take that car. I'd like to have this bank account, that job. God, would you give me this relationship? We pray all of those things, and, and I'm not at all just bashing those things. But that's not our greatest need. Jesus revealed what our greatest need is. Our greatest need is forgiveness from our sins. That's what our greatest need is. You see, the blood of Jesus was poured out on a cross not so that you'd have the biggest house in the neighborhood. Not so that you'd have the nicest, shiniest car or the best job or the corner office. It wasn't poured out for any of those things. It was poured out so that you would know forgiveness. You see, the extraordinary event of the cross pointed to an extraordinary need that you and I have. And that is the need for forgiveness. You see, 
What can we take from this scene in our lives? What can we learn from this event as it unfolded? What is it that we can learn? What can I learn from Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing? What can I take from it? I want everybody to pay close attention to me. What can I learn from that and apply to my life? Well, let me ask you this question. I think we've already proven this. Just about everybody in here has had a problem or is having a problem with holding a grudge. How many of you have been stuck at times? Don't show your hands. But you've been stuck at times in the sludge of grudge. I mean, maybe somebody has wronged you, has hurt you, has ridiculed you, has abused you, has done something to just absolutely aggravate you, and you've had every right to be angry. You've had every single right. But yet that grudge has held you hostage and captive for years. You see, let me tell you something. Jesus had every right to hold a grudge, but Jesus wouldn't hold a grudge. He would not get wrapped up in the sludge of grudge. He wouldn't do it. So here's, here's my question to you. If forgiveness is man's greatest need, how are you doing with this forgiveness thing? How are you doing with it? Let's be honest. When it comes to forgiveness, how are you doing in your relationships? When it comes to forgiveness, how are you doing in your marriage? When it comes to forgiveness with your kids, how are you operating? Kids, when it comes to forgiveness with your parents, how are you operating? Are you holding a grudge? What are you doing? Listen, let me say this to you. With a crowd this size, the balcony full, just an awesome crowd, can I say this to you? I'll guarantee you that there are people in this building today that you are wrapped up with a huge wound. Someone has hurt you. Maybe it was an abusive parent. Maybe it was an abusive spouse. Maybe whatever. You're hurt. You've got a deep wound. That wound you're carrying around has caused you to hold a grudge and you've just been hanging out in sludge. And you don't know what to do with it and you're so wounded and you're in so much pain and you're crying out on the inside. You feel like you're about to explode. And you're screaming out and you don't know what to do with the pain that's in your life. Can I tell you what you do with it? You do with that pain what Jesus did. That's what you do. You see, because Jesus did something with his pain on this cross that maybe you haven't picked up on yet. In this one verse, verse 34, he did something with his pain. I want to show you what he did. You see, he gave us the prescription for pain. Here's the first thing that you've got to do. If you want to get rid of the grudge in your life, if you want to deal with the pain that may be in your broken relationship or, 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 or your friendships or your marriage or, or, or with your kids or kids with your parents, whatever the case may be, if you want to alleviate that pain, the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to give it away. Write that down. Give it away. What did God do? What did, what did Jesus do when he was on the cross? He cried out, Father. You know what he was doing? He was giving God his pain. He was calling out to God. and You know, there's something that is therapeutic about us calling out to God when we're in pain. There is. When we go to God in prayer, when we have pain in our lives, there is something that is absolutely therapeutic. But notice this. Jesus didn't cry out to his friends who were there. No. 
He didn't cry out to his family who was there on that place of the skull, Golgotha. He didn't cry out to them. He didn't cry out to to the disciples who were kind of scattered in the crowd. He didn't do that. He cried out to Father. But you know what we tend to do? When somebody wrongs us or hurts us, we grab our cell phone and all of those stored numbers that we've got. We start going down the list calling, you won't believe what he did to me. (laughs) You won't believe what she did. Man, I, I, I'm telling you right now, I can't believe that he did this to me. I, they've made me so mad, we want everybody to know how they've ticked us off. <sighs> we get absolutely angry. We want them to know it. You know something, though? Just right in the middle of the pain, Jesus was giving this thing away. You see, the Bible says this. It says, to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You know what it means when it says he cares for you? And when it means cast your cares upon him? You know what it's saying? Cast your anger upon him. Cast your pain upon him. Cast that grudge that you have in your heart upon him. Cast all of those things upon him because he cares for you. Notice that that scripture does not say cast all of your cares upon them. It doesn't say that. It says upon him. You see, we don't cast all of our cares upon Verizon (laughs) or AT&T or Sprint or Singular. We don't do that. That is not the equation to deal with pain. You know what that does? All that does is cause you to sow more seeds and you're going to get angrier and more angry and more angry and more angry. You've got to give it away. That's the first thing that you've got to do. That's your first step to recovery when it comes to the healing process. All right? The second thing that you've got to do. This is something that I don't like. I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm going to be upfront and honest with you. I don't like this next one. Matter of fact, I, I, I really, I just hardly can stomach it. You've got to pray for your enemies. You know what? In the flesh, we don't want to do that. Man, praying for your enemies, to me, that sounds like having a party. <laughs> that sounds like a ball of fun, doesn't it? How many of you just want to get together and have a party and pray for your enemies? <laughs> Nobody in here. How many of you this week you've prayed for your enemies? Come on. Wow. Five or six out of several hundred. It's not something that we do. Why? Because it's something that the flesh just cannot stand. We don't like it. But Jesus, right in the middle of this mess, He stops and He teaches us that we must pray for our enemies. In fact, flip over to Luke chapter 6. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 6. Verse, verse 28. You've you, you got to see this. Because this is a verse. Let, let me just say this. I wish that I owned stock in Whiteout. And I could go through everybody's Bible. Every print that's in Bible. All around the, all around the world. Just every Bible that's in print. Take Whiteout and take this one verse out. I don't like this verse. I want to just be honest with you. I'm being candid with you today. Being transparent. I do not like this verse. You know why? Because this verse requires something of me. It requires something of you. Something that's going to make you uncomfortable at times. Look what this verse says. Jesus says it. It's in the red. He says, bless those who curse you. Ooh, that's pretty deep. But then look what it says. It says, and pray for those who do what? Who do what? Those who mistreat you. Hold on a second, Jesus. You are asking a lot. You're wanting me to bless those who curse me? And you're wanting me to even then pray for them because they've mistreated me? 
You see, Jesus did that. Here's a side note. I want you to notice how Jesus prayed. Some of you are saying right now, okay, I'll pray. I, I, I will pray. I'll pray. God, our eternal Father, sovereign Lord, you know how they wronged me. I want you to get them. <laughs> Sick them, God. <laughs> yeah, because you know they made me mad. God, I, I want you to just create a lightning bolt. Don't kill them. Just burn them a little bit. <laughs> or, or better yet, God, I, could you just let them have the worst stomach virus known to man? <laughs> man. Listen, I'm telling you, that's what we want to do at times. Come on, let me just, how many of you want to do that at times? Let's just be honest, let's be candid. Come on, if you don't raise your hand, there's something wrong with you. We want to do that at times, but let me tell you something. God did not pray bad things for those people. He prayed good things. You must pray good things for your enemies. When somebody has hurt you, pray blessings on them. You know what it will do? It will help you in the healing process. I promise you it will. It will, it absolutely will. So you must give it away and you must pray for your enemies. Here's the third thing that you must do. Write this down. You must not go through the aggravation of retaliation. Let me tell you something. If you retaliate on your own, can can I be honest with you? You're going to be knocked off course in life. Last year, Kim and I and the boys, we were head, heading to Chapel Hill, and we were going up there to watch a UNC game, champions of 2009, praise the Lord. Um, hold your applause for later. But anyway, we're on the way up there. We're going to watch this, this, this game. And we're driving down, I think it was 40 or something. We went the long way, the scenic way. And so as we're driving, I know that my exit is just a little bit up the road. And so I go ahead and I hit my blinker to get into the next lane. And I didn't see this car in my blind spot. And so as I'm swerving over, he honks the horn and he lays down on the horn. And so I jerk it back into the lane. And when I jerk it back into the lane, I, I think, well, let him, let him get up beside of me. And I'm going to just wave at him tell him I'm sorry. So I did. I, I waved at him. I said, oh, man, sorry. Well, there is something that I just cannot stand. And when it happens, there's something in me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. That w- if this happens to me, it, it sends me over the edge. This guy expressed his love for me and told me I was number one. And can I tell you something? It sent me over the edge. I looked at my wife and I said, no, he did not. At this point in time, I think he could see my facial features changing. And so he sped up a little bit. And guess what I did? I sped up a little bit. Mm. I said, he's not getting in this lane. So I got up beside him. I said, oh, I'm going to show him a thing or two. So I'm driving down the road. He's speeding up. I'm speeding up. Pretty soon I look down at the speedometer and we're running 90. And I'm thinking, whoa, man, I'm going to get this guy. You know, I'm losing it. My wife says, hey, you got to stop. This is crazy. you got to stop. I said, he's not going to do that to me. And I'm flying down the road, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. And Kim says, hey, you're a pastor. <laughs> but not in Chapel Hill. <laughs> so, so let me tell you, because this is honest truth. This is the honest truth. In my aggravation of retaliation, I missed our exit. 
<laughs> I missed it by a long ways. And, and so I had to go up there after I calmed down and said, yeah, you know what, you're right. You're right. Did y'all get his license plate number? <laughs> so I go up and I turn around. My, my point is this. I was way off course. I mean, I missed it. I, I was way off course. I was way down the road, a place that I was not going, a place that I should have never have been. My point to you is this. If you get wrapped up with trying to retaliate, it's going to take you further than you want to go. And as Pastor Alma says, it's going to keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. It was not much. So anyway, um, so let me finish this up. Do not retaliate. Because I want you to notice something about Jesus. Jesus had every reason to retaliate. And do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he could have. The Bible says this. The Bible says that he could have called 10,000 angels to come down and wipe out the earth and take him off the cross. He could have done that, but you know what? He didn't do it. So don't mess with the aggravation of retaliation. Here's the last thing that you've got to do, and we're, we're about to close. It's this. You've got to pray for restoration. You've got to pray for restoration. You see, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, do you know what he was saying? And I'm going to ask our, our pianist to come back. When he said, Father, forgive them. What he was saying is this. I want them to be right with you, God. I don't want them to be apart from you, to be disconnected from you. I, I want them to be right with you, God. You see, what Jesus showed us right there is when you have a broken relationship, you need to pray for restoration. You need to pray for healing in that relationship. You see, what Jesus did that day was he prayed for these guys to be restored, even though they had wronged him. What I'm saying to you today is that you need to pray for restoration. You see, Jesus, his whole life, he lived for the give. He did forgiveness. He gave it away. Here's my question to you. How are you doing with the forgiveness thing? Because I'll guarantee you that there are people in this room right now that you cannot let go of the past. And you know what's happened? You don't realize it. You think that you have control of it. But the problem is it has grown roots in you and it now has control of you. And so let me tell you something. You've got to get out of the sludge of grudge. You've got to live for the gift just like Jesus did. You've got to give, give it away. You see, how can you do that? How, how can I, Pastor Mark, how can I live that way? How can I live and give away that forgiveness? How can I get rid of this grudge? Can I ask you a question? Has God ever forgiven you? I, 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 I don't know, but God's in the forgiveness business, and I'll guarantee you that everybody in here has a pile of stuff. That God has forgiven you on. But yet you've got this little bitty stuff. It may be big to you and I'm not minimizing it. But in comparison to all the things you've been forgiven for, it's small. And that little bitty stuff is in control of your life. You see, you've got you've to give that stuff away. Let me close this way. We started out clouds rolled in darkness fell across the whole earth the curtain rips the earth shakes and then Jesus 
takes his last breath. He says three words. He said, it is finished. The it was his mission in life. That was to be your savior. That was to be your sacrifice. It is finished. They took his bloody body off of that cross. Prepared him for the tomb. They walked him to a tomb. Placed his body in it. As far as the world was concerned at that point in time, Jesus was no longer. But as cloudy as that day was, three days later, sunlight shone all over the earth. And the greatest thing that ever happened for humanity happened when that stone was rolled away. Jesus threw those grave clothes to the ground and he walked out in a victorious fashion. You see, that is why we're here today to celebrate that. You see, we see that as ugly as the cross was, it offered us forgiveness. But as beautiful as the empty tomb is, it offers us restoration. Today, I believe in my spirit that there are people in this, in this building. You need restoration in your life. You need God to reach down right into your relationship and heal you. You need God to extract that grudge that's inside of you that's been controlling you. You need to dismiss it. Somebody's wounded you deeply. Today you need to do what Jesus did and say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive me for holding on to it. And release it. You see, today is a day that you can walk away and be changed forever and never, ever, ever, ever look back at that. Today, some of you need to do that. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. It's just, it's just you and me.